0: Welcome to the Women of TBC Podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Karen and Amy said they had this quote framed in their house. I do as well. It is the golden standard by which we should strive to live, but it has been spoken quoted and illustrated so many times, like the stories of Noah and the great flood and Joseph's coat of many colors, we tend to just let the words skim over our consciousness and not look any deeper. Just like the rest of God's word, we can dig deeper and study the content, the context from which Joshua is speaking and get even more out of the text. It is more than just, let's say, Matt Damon emoting on a Hollywood set in front of a cast of thousands yelling, as for me in my house. <laughs> it's a dramatic ending to a lot of drama. What God has to say to us is so much richer than just a few moments on a dramatized film. Let's finish Joshua Strong together. There are three points from Joshua 23 and 24 I would like us to consider they are the standard to be kept, remember your history, and choose. First, we're going to look at the standard to be kept. In chapter 23, Joshua gives the people of Israel a standard to live for the promises to happen. In his speech, Joshua uses four action words that are worth looking at more closely regarding the standard we should strive to maintain as we follow the Lord. The first one is strong. And that to have strength is to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Why Why does it take strength? And when I look at things like this, these types of words pop out at me and I'm saying, what is it there for? Why do we have to have strength? And I think that's a really good way, respectfully and humbly to look at God's word. And it is good to consider why it, why it is that it takes strength to do this. I have heard many people say something like, in their heart of hearts, they're a really good person. We cannot approach our interactions with people this way. We need to understand that when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we became based in sin. It takes strength to go against what we want to do, to go against our culture, to take the easy path how many of us are trying to lose weight? How hard is it to stick to that diet of moderation and regular exercise so that we can lose weight in a healthy, sustainable way? I don't know about you, but I very seldom pass up a brownie. I love brownies, and I especially love corner brownies. I was at Small Group a few weeks ago, and I had already had my sweet for the day. Brownies were served, and right there on the top in the middle of the plate was a corner brownie. I ate the brownie. I didn't need the brownie because of other health issues. I need to drop just a few pounds. When I stop and think about it, how pathetic is it that I don't have the strength to pass up the corner brownie? Such a simple thing to say no, but I didn't. And many times I don't. The next word I want to look at is cling. You cling to the Lord, your God. How do I cling to the Lord? What does that look like? Part of what keeps us from clinging to the Lord is what I call the me problem. This is very important because clinging to the Lord is what causes our transformation. Let's go back to the brownie illustration where I left off. I ate the brownie, thought about it, and concluded that it was just pathetic. If I stay here wallowing in my own patheticness, nature, I'm clinging to me or my sin. In the book of Hebrews, it says, there... Oh, good. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, le- let us also lay aside every weight <laughs> <get> them, <laughs> and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Even Paul's illustration causes us to think of the strength needed to train for athletic competition. Our minds should instantly go to the training, discipline, and sacrifice of training for a race. There will be setbacks and injuries, but there will also be success after training correctly. It is extremely hard to let go of sin. We cling to it. Ladies, we need to release our grip on sin and grab or cling onto God. Psalm sixty-three, eight says, "My soul clings to you; my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me." This is just one verse of a beautiful psalm that would be a great one for you to memorize. It so you have your mind for instant. So you have in your mind for instant recall in those moments when you need strength. One of the most freeing days in my life was during a prayer time. I was convicted of a sin that I had been committing and confessed it in my prayer. Up to this time, I usually would have gone to the me problem and focused on how pathetic I had been. That day, I thanked the Lord for his patience. I marveled at his confidence in me to hear his correction, and I asked him for strength to change the sin of my life. That day was a game changer for me. Psalm 63 is the attitude we should have to cling to the Lord. Next, I want to look at the word careful. Careful the standard to be kept is to be careful, take diligent heed to love the Lord. What is it to love God? When we cling to the Lord, we still have temptation around us. Joshua told the Israelites to be careful. They were surrounded by other cultures who worshiped false gods. They could easily be tempted by their reason, business opportunities, or fear of rejection. Does any of that sound familiar? We must be just as careful to love the Lord as Joshua is calling the Israelites to do. In Mark 12, we read, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is another verse that many of us have heard so many times, maybe we don't hear it anymore. Have you checked yourself against the four directives given in in this verse? What does it look like in your life to love the Lord your God this way? If I practice the discipline of not eating the corner brownie because I have decided to lose a few pounds, the discipline I develop in this very small thing will help me to train to be more disciplined when it matters more. When I want to honor the Lord I love with everything I am, with, when I honor him by living a consistent life that brings him glory, even when the world mocks me for doing so. And finally, in this section, know with certainty, your God will drive these nations out, but, will, but they will be a snare to you. Why should I trust God to do what he says he's going to do? That was my question for this directive given by Joshua. When we answer this question, we need to be careful. In order to place our trust in someone, we need to know them. Who is God and how do I know him better? Be especially careful of starting your definition with, I think. We know who God is by doing God's word. We are here for fellowship, but that fellowship is based on knowing who is this God that speaks and creates something from absolutely nothing. Who is this God that set his own son, the son who was at his side when he spoke and created to die the cruel death of a hardened criminal? Who is this God who is holy, righteous, just, merciful, and forgiving? We don't like to focus on the just part very much, do we? It's hard because we see how we fall short, and if we stick on to the me problem, it blinds us to who God is. If we stay focused on how delicious and instantly gratifying a corner brownie is, we never experience how soul-satisfying a relationship with God Almighty is. When we learn who God is through his word revealed to us, we understand that it is by his standard alone. That we find life. We understand that his word never changes. In Luke 16, 17 we read, But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to pass away. And in Romans eleven twenty-two, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Joshua ends his, di- his discourse in chapter 23, reminding us, uh, the Israelites, of God's just nature. And I love this quote by Francis Schaeffer. So at the end of his life, Joshua was insisting as he had practiced that the blessings depended upon whether or not the people kept commands. Once we depart from this mentality, we are on totally shifting sand. God's word, the Bible is a rock, something solid and immovable. It gives us moral absolutes rather than situational relativistic ethics. The next section I wanted to pull out of this is remember your history. Have you ever heard someone derisively discount something someone else has said by saying that's ancient history? Why are we spending all this effort learning about the book of Joshua? It's history, and I think this does, um, it does qualify as ancient history. Why does Joshua begin his final speech to his people, reviewing their history one more time, and a history that they probably knew very well? By studying, remembering, and honoring our spiritual history, we learn about God's character. And one piece of that is we learn, oh, we learn of the one who made a covenant with us. When we study the biblical record, the history of our church, reflect on the work God has done in our lives, we can see him. Joshua, in his speeches in chapters 23 and 24, used the history of their people to remind the people of Israel of the Lord's constant presence and to assure them he would continue to be there with them. Just as the Lord promised in 1-9, the Lord God had been and would continue to be with them. Joshua reminds the Israelites continuous provision in verse 7. Joshua says, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Dale Ralph Davis says this, what a load is packed into that phrase, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Half of Exodus and all of Numbers are compacted into these words. Their mere survival from Egypt to Canaan was nothing less than one long miracle. Do you think about that? Every morning, they stepped out. And they walked on manna, all of the food that they needed. Another saying that tends to be negative when looking at history is we say, you're looking at history with 2020 20 vision. Yes, <laughs> that could be a good thing too. But we could look at history correctly. Well, we have to look at history correctly to have that 2020 vision and not see things from a myopic point of view. We tend to look at those people listed in the Bible as if they have some special source of goodness that God gave that got God's attention. We don't acknowledge Abraham was a pagan, Jacob was a cheating little liar. Why do I always picture Jacob as a short little man with a gimpy walk? Moses was a coward, and Rahab was a prostitute by today's definition, modern definition. Why must we constantly diminish God for what he does for us? Yes, these folks were not up to God's standard, and that's the evidence we should see from learning our spiritual history. God can use even them to do his work in such an incredible way. John Newton understood, and that is why we have the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. He went from being a brutal slave trader, and let's not mince words here. He went into another country, kidnapped people from their homes, transported human beings as animals, and sold them. We study our spiritual history so we understand God's amazing grace and do not make idols out of people who God calls. So even someone like John Newton can experience that special amazing grace. I've always been a little confused about the reference to Balaam in this section. Balaam seems to be an anti-hero. Balak, king of Moab, had hired Balaam a diviner to put a curse on Israel when they were getting ready to enter Canaan. God makes it clear to Balaam he is only to speak what God tells him to speak. When Balaam is riding his donkey to meet with Balaam, three times the angel of the Lord is on the road, ready to pierce Balaam through with the sword, and each time the donkey saves Balaam's life. But Balaam misunderstands and punishes the donkey for not doing as she's told, the last punishment, punishment being an abusive beating. The Lord then opens the donkey's mouth and she says, what she has asked, what she has done to deserve such a beating. And I love the way um, Davis, once again, I'm gonna quote him, how he succinctly ends this up and has some great conclusions. Then as Yahweh had opened the ass's mouth, he opened Balaam's eyes, and Balaam saw he was within an inch of death. Here is the real irony. Balaam is the diviner, the seer, the one who perceives. Yet it was the ass who saw the angel of Yahweh while Balaam did not. The dumb ass was sharper than Balaam. So some may take offense, we can truthfully say that the point of the narrative is that Balaam is the real ass. <laughs> Remember, donkeys are not known for their lack of intelligence. They're known for their stubbornness. Ladies, how many of us are stubborn? Another thing we learn about God is he is absolutely trustworthy. Do you live and think like you believe this? Do you pray when things are going well, or do you only pray when facing challenges and start throwing out prayers of desperation? We know in this world we are going to face challenges. When my husband retired from the army four years ago, a very popular buzzword was resiliency. The soldier is very—that soldier is very resilient—was a compliment. Soldiers and spouses in leadership had resiliency training, but we still had to choose to be resilient when once. Again, orders came through and we were packing for another PCS or another deployment. I had to choose what kind of wife I was going to be, a big girl or a big baby, a victim of circumstance or an encourager. I wish I could tell you I was always a great wife to my soldier. The truth is, sometimes I was and sometimes I wasn't. It always had a direct correlation into whom I put my trust. When I put my trust in the Lord, my success was his glory. When I put my trust in myself, it was to my shame and the Lord's disappointment. The author of Hebrew teaches that the life of faith and following will not always be easy or have reward honored by this world. And what more shall I say? James also has excellent insight. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Lord, ladies, this hit me hard. Um, The British say gobsmacked when I was preparing. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to ask, why do these bad things happen to us, but rather, we should ask, why does a God who loves us so much have to go to such lengths to reach us? Why do we continue to grieve him? The part of history, we shouldn't, the other part of why we should know our history is the history of the Bible is based in reality. Remember your history because it is based in time-space reality. It really did happen. This was true in Joshua's day, the birth of Isaac to parents who were too old, the plagues in Egypt, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, the manna provided. Joshua gives this exhortation as well. Now, Jesus did, or I'm sorry, John gives this um, exhortation as well. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The miracles of Jesus were not done as a circus sideshow. They were done as evidence that the Lord God not only created all that we see from nothing, they were performed openly in front of witnesses. Those witnesses gave testimony and that testimony is recorded in to our benefit today. Joshua reminded the Israelites of the historical realities on which their faith rested. Biblical faith is rooted in what, may be, what is seen by the eye and heard by the ear. This is important to remember in our Western way of thinking when we look at history. Greek thinking will rationalize events. Why did they do what they did, and what was the consequence? Hebrew thinking demands a much tougher reality. Hebrews demanded reason as well as that which is rooted in time and in the time space stories recorded in the Bible. It really did happen. Greek gods explained away why things the way they, were, they why they were the way they were. I originally had this section of history flipped with the previous section of the Living the Standard. My Western way of thinking made it more logical to put this section first, even though I was flipping the sequence from Joshua because when we remember our spiritual history, we focus on what God has done for us. So logically, I present to you what God has done, and rationally, you respond with, that's great, I want some of that, when we should respond to the reality of who God is. And do not let the appeal of God be, he's the pumpkin spice flavor of whatever season we are in. We homeschooled our children, One Christian history curriculum I considered spent an entire chapter rationalizing when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, there was a drought that just happened to come upon the Red Sea during that and during that drought and a season when the Red Sea was lower anyway. This is another example of diminishing the power of God and ignored the scripture tells us that Israelites walked through a wall of water on both sides of them on dry ground. It took courage to walk through those walls of water and what I like to call the first aquarium. (laughs) Joshua was saying to the people as he was about to leave them, remember the past, remember these things that are rooted in history and are open to reason. In Ezekiel, we read, again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Hear that. Your origin and your birth are in the origin of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. This was directed to the Jews. The Jews, remember, this is what you were until God reached for you. As Christians, we have a similar backstory. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We must remember at one time, Satan was your God. This is who you were. The final section I want to go to is choose. The third and final lesson I would like to pull from Joshua 24 is choose. And it starts out with three different waters, three sets of gods. It goes back to Ezekiel 16.3. Other side of the flood were the gods of the Sumerians and the Babylonians in the land of Canaan. God brought the Israelites through the Red Sea from the gods of the Egyptians. Other side of the Jordan River were the gods of the Amorites. Those of you who have given your lives to Christ have also passed through water as well. When you were baptized, you passed through the water. That was an initial choice. If you are a Christian having made the once for all choice that was involved in your justification, remember that your choices do not end. You do not enter a static situation. Paul gives this imperative. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And that's from Galatians 5.25. We must continually choose to live with the commands of God. Joshua has spent his life making choices to follow the Lord. Shortly after crossing the Red Sea, Joshua was a general against the Amalekites. When the people worshiped the golden calf, Joshua did not identify with them. When the spies entered the land, Joshua and Caleb gave the true report and professed faith. Joshua was witness to the discipline of Moses for going against God. In English, we read the tense in the word, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is future. It's something I will do from here on out or in the near future. Joshua's tense infers he has done so and will continue to do so. He knows the struggle of choosing the Lord. He's not asking for people of Israel to do anything that he's not done already. He presses Israel to the wall. They must come down somewhere. If not Yahweh, the real historical God, then they must choose either the ancestral Mesopotamian gods or the contemporary, contemporary Amorite God ones. The conservatives who were fond of tradition of what had been, had stood the test of time, who yearned for the faith of our fathers might vote for Mesopotamia. The liberals with their yen for relevance for being in step with the times might prefer to identify as an act of goodwill with the current social milieu and enter into dialogue and worship with the Amorites. But you must choose, if not Yahweh, then take your pick from these dung-hilled deities as Matthew Henry referred to them. Have you been in so severe a struggle that you've been prostrate with your face on the floor? The struggle so intense inside of you that you felt despair? Have you been in a struggle that you are so busy that you are quick to turn your back and not meditate on God's word in the morning or the evening, whenever you've established your time to spend with him? Here at the end of Joshua, he has called them to Shechem. It is a small town that sits in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. It was here 600 plus years earlier that Abram had built an altar to the Lord when he first entered Canaan. It was here that Jacob proclaimed that Yahweh was no longer just the God of his father Isaac, but Yahweh was his God as well, and he burned the idols that those in his family brought brought from Mesopotamia. It is in Shechem where Joshua calls the people and wrecks the stone of remembrance. It is here that Joshua demands a responsive allegiance or rejection to Yahweh. Who will you serve Israel? They proclaim allegiance to the Lord. Ladies, this question of who you will follow is one we will answer as, as Christians. Who will you serve? Were you, have you made your commitment of a believer's baptism? Do you daily make that commitment to follow the Lord most high? Joshua's demand for careful consideration is the same for us today. In Luke 14 it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? "'Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, "'is not able to finish, "'and all who will see it begin to mock him, "'saying, this man began to build "'and was not able to finish. "'Or what king is going out "'to encounter another king in war "'will not sit down first "'and deliberate deliberate whether he is able "'with 10,000 to meet him "'who comes with 20,000? "'And if not, while the other "'is yet a great way off, "'sends a delegation "'and asks for terms of peace.' So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Francis H. Schaefer issues this challenge. What are your gods of Ur? What are your gods of Egypt? What are your gods of the Amorites? What are your gods? What gods did you leave when you made the great first choice to become a Christian? We continue to follow in a reasonable, carefully counting the cost, and it is before the Lord and to the Lord God alone. Those are God's terms. Do you balk when Jesus says you must hate your family? God doesn't. Just, God doesn't just demand that kind of commitment. He modeled that commitment to us. He sent his beloved son and remained silent when Jesus called out to him from the cross. Why have you forsaken me? We've been on quite a journey this season, haven't we? so many con- changes for our congregation here at TBC. What's the way ahead for, for us? What, why we have learned that we have a loving father whose provision is perfect. We have a merciful God who judges fairly and we can choose to follow God Almighty who is completely trustworthy and always keeps his word. What will it be ladies? Will you serve the gods of this world around us? I can't tell you what your idols are. That is a conver- conversation you must have with the Lord. But the question is, will you forsake them or forsake your faith? It's not going to be easy. You're going to mess it up. I will too. But me, I choose the Lord who willingly hung on a cross for me. I choose a living God who speaks and creates. What he speaks and what he speaks is truth and is good. I choose to be here with my family, which is you, my sweet friends. Who will you choose? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your tender mercies, for your word, which is true then and it is now. I thank you, Father, for your diligence, your, your steadfastness. I thank you for your spirit, which is such a precious gift to us that in spite of faltering, stumbling lips and, and, and things that are spoken imperfectly, your spirit can, can get that truth through. Of what needs to be gotten through, and and it is to your glory. Father, you are good, you are right, you are true, you are merciful. And I ask that as we go from here, that we take this message out to a very lost world who is in desperate need for that same truth, that we are able to find sweet peace in here to this morning. You are good, Lord, and it is to your glory that all has been said this morning. All this I pray in your name. Amen.